have a seat. Again, welcome. If you got a Bible, go to Daniel chapter 6. We're walking through the book of Daniel in a series uh, called The World Seems Out of Control, But. And today we're going to talk about the fact that the world seems out of control, but God triumphs over his enemies. And let me start with a, uh, with a story that I think is kind of a, has a spiritual metaphor in it. It's from history, and I understand that history is kind of like math. When you're in school, you either hate it or you love it, most people. Although somebody told me after the first service they had a major in math and a minor in history. Uh, it's a little weird, right, Lori? But uh, apparently smart lady. But um, anyway, so in our history, the last time we fought a battle with the British was in January of 1815 at the end of the War of 1812. How many of you knew there was a War of 1812? Okay, that's good. All right. Uh, and you're awake, too. I, you know, I wouldn't even ask you to raise your hand. I didn't want to embarrass the people who didn't know, but uh, <laughs> welcome to True Life today. So people embarrass you. Anyway, so the end of the War of 1812, there was the Battle of New Orleans, uh, and uh, the commander was Andrew Jackson. You know, he's from Tennessee, and it's kind of propelled him to the presidency and everything. And, and we defeated the, the British, but the crazy thing about the, the Battle of New Orleans is that we had already won the war. And there was a peace treaty that had been agreed on in December in, in England. But, you know, you couldn't text somebody then to say, hey, we signed the peace treaty. And it took a while for news to get back. And so before news got to America, we fought this battle. We won. Now, technically, the war wasn't over, though, according to the treaty, until both sides signed the treaty, which didn't happen until February. But in effect, we'd already run the, won the war. Here's the metaphor. When it comes to our spiritual war, Jesus won the war on the cross. Jesus won the war in his resurrection. Now, it's not going to all be finalized uh, until uh, he comes back and he sets up his kingdom and Satan is vanquished and the lion lays down with the lamb. And we're going to have battles to fight in between. But I, the question I really want us to get at today is how are we going to fight those battles? Uh, are, are we going to fight those battles in our own strength? Are we going to fight those battles in the power of God. You know, we have some spiritual enemies. Uh, we have the devil. We have the world, this world system that's opposed to God. We have our own flesh. And you know what the reality is? My own worst enemy, and I think this is probably true for you as well, is me. I mean, think about it. Who's lied to you more than you've lied to you? Who's slandered you more than you've slandered yourself? Who's beaten you up more then you've beaten up yourself. Who's made more bad decisions for you than you've made for yourself? So we could even be our own worst enemy. But the good news is, is that Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection triumphed over Satan. And he triumphed over the world. And he triumphed over our flesh. And, the, and there's victory in him. How do we live out of that victory, though? And how do we live the life that God wants us to live. You know, it, it's a real different mindset to think that we're fighting for victory versus the fact that we're fighting from victory. He wants to see that we're fighting from the victory of the cross. So, with that in mind, let's go to, to Daniel chapter 6. Da Daniel chapter 6 is kind of a hinge point in the book. You know, the first half of the book is more narrative. The second half of the book is more historical, prof prophetic, and it kind of turns here in Daniel chapter 6, although it really all fits together. And I want to try to help you to see how even today and in the, in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, this is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And if you went to Sunday school when you were a kid, you've heard this story. And you kind of know this story. But what would God say to our lives where we live today through it? So, Let's read the story. I'm going to read the first verse, give you just a little back background. And then we'll just kind of go through the story. And then like we've been uh, doing in Daniel, we'll talk about uh, conviction, action, uh, Christ connection. So it says, uh, verse 1, that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And just to review for a second, so at the end of chapter 5, Babylon is conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire under Cyrus the, the Great. But it, but it says at the end of Daniel chapter 5 that Darius the Mede, being about 62 years old, uh, you know, became the ruler. And so the, probably the, the biggest historical question in the book of Daniel is who is Darius uh, the, the Mede? 
And part of the reason there's a question about him is there's no historical reference to that name outside the Bible. And based on that, some people would use this in ammunition as ammunition in dismissing Daniel. Daniel as a genuine, accurate uh, work, as a, as a genuine word uh, from God. And say so it was in the second century. He's not you know, writing prophecy. Those kind of things. The thing that I would caution you against if you want to take that approach is like we talked about last week with Belshazzar. People made that argument for a long time, and then archaeologists found all these references to Belshazzar outside the Bible and just kind of blew that argument uh, out the door. And so uh, the very same thing could happen with Darius uh, the, the Mede. But, you know, if you believe the Bible, it doesn't really matter. There's two leading theories about it. Some people believe he was Gubaru, uh, the commander of the army. Some people believe he was actually Cyrus the Great because some of the translations in, 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 in because this section was written in Aramaic, like when you get to the end of the book, it could say Darius the Great, even or Darius the Mede, even Cyrus the Great. That's personally what I believe, but, it, you know, it's debatable. I, I think Darius the Mede was a title. Is really what it was, uh, because it's the Medo-Persian Empire. We know that Cyrus had both a, a Median and a Persian background, and so I think he related to the Medes by using the title Darius the Great, uh, or Darius the Mede. He related uh, to the Persians by using his name Cyrus. But anyway, that's just in case you know you've ever come across that, or you do come across it. So, but whatever it says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Uh, now, notice verse 2. It says, And over these three governors, and, and this is the, the crazy thing, of whom Daniel was one. So you have this Hebrew teenager taken captive. Now, 60 plus years later, on empire number two, he's still one of the leaders in the empire. And, and so it says that he... Uh, that these satraps might give account to them so the king would suffer no loss. In verse 3, this is very big in the life of Daniel. It says in this story that Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And it says the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. So apparently what happened, the king had this thought. He must have verbalized it to someone. People heard it. They got jealous. They didn't want Daniel uh, to be over the kingdom. So they tried to tr trump up some charges against uh, uh, Daniel. But it says, the latter part of verse 4, that they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. And this is, that's a key word in the whole book. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. He lived with that kind of integrity for decades. And then verse 5, these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So they thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the, lake of, or into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So they played on his pride, his vanity, and he fell into a trap here. And we need to be careful of getting sucked into traps because people play on our pride and vanity. And every one of us, right, is susceptible to that. Every one of us. So, verse 10, and, and this is, maybe this is probably the, the key to the whole story, maybe the key verse to the whole book to Daniel. It, it, verse 10 is the secret sauce of Daniel's life. And the cool thing is, it can be the secret sauce of our lives, too, if we want to live faithfully, with integrity, uh, fruitfully, over a long period of time. It says this, it says, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, not in the corner of, a, of the basement as quietly as he could, but in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Here's the key, as was his custom since early days. In other words, as was the habit of his 
life since he was a kid. He spent time with God three times that day. How did he have an excellent spirit? How did he live faithfully? It was in the, his habits and the way that he lived day in and day out. Here's what I believe. If, if you knew my daily habits, and I know your daily habits, I can pretty much tell you without knowing your life outwardly what your life is going to be like. That's how vital this is because everything works from the inside out. If we're right on the inside, the outward stuff will take care of itself. If we're wrong on the inside, we're going to screw up the outward stuff. That's just how it works. So it says, verse 11, These men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing is true according to the law of Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he had heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. He knew they had suckered him into this. And set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. I mean, they had him trapped. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him in to the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying, Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. It's not like Darius Cyrus was a believer. This was how powerful Daniel's integrity was and the kind of witness that it gave him. And so it says, Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning, and he went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel, saying, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And so Daniel said, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and the Bible says in Hebrews 1.14 that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to the heirs uh, of salvation. The Bible talks about sometimes we can encounter angels unaware that he sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt, hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. In other words, he obeyed God. Then verse 23, now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. Uh, so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Daniel obeyed because he trusted, and uh, he obeyed because he trusted, and, 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 and because he trusted, he obeyed. You can't separate the two. Faith without works is dead. Faith is taking God at his word and, and, and acting on it. The Bible connects the two together. The only way we know we're trusting is when we're obeying God. If we're not obeying God, we're not trusting God. And then our actions show our faith. So he believed in God. He obeyed God. God, in his grace, and because he still had plans for Daniel, delivered him. And so it says, then the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast him into the den of lions. Uh, them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them. Their scheme got turned on their heads, so they broke all their bones and pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. And then it says, then King Darius wrote. And this is amazing, because again, you have a pagan king, and in the next two or three verses, you see him, in effect, encapsulating 
the message, the theology of the book of Daniel and what he writes. And this really ends up serving as like the perfect introduction, the perfect launching pad into the second half of the book. So he says this, he says, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Why? Because he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. They just saw it. And he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And so, and here's kind of the postscript, and again, it's amazing. Because, you know, it referenced this at the end of chapter 1, but it says that this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so, what's this text saying? How does it apply to our lives today? I think, uh, just to kind of boil it down into a single conviction, that this is kind of the, the, the big message of this text. It's this, the world seems out of control, but God triumphs over his enemies. The world seems out of control, but God triumphs over uh, his enemies. I, I, mean, I mean, think about it here. Um, you know, like we've talked about, like we, we, we've seen, you know, the, the big message of the, of the book of Daniel is that God rules and reigns. He's sovereign. He's in control. His, his kingdom is, is going to be established. But every one of these individual stories, like, uh, you know, when they don't eat the king's food in chapter 1, and when they don't... Um, uh, bow down to the big golden statue in chapter 3, when God humbles Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, when God judges Belshazzar in chapter 5, and now when God delivers Daniel in chapter 6, all of these are little pictures of the coming kingdom and the fact that God is in control, that God is working out his will, God is using his people, and that God is turning the schemes of the enemy on their head to ultimately establish his kingdom. And he is in our lives and through our lives, one step at a time, one day at a time, one battle at a time, bringing about his will. And ultimately, God is writing a big story in the world of the establishment of his kingdom, but God is also, if you're his child, writing a story of your life, and he's connecting the two together, and the meaning and the purpose of our lives, of, of our story, is ultimately found in the bigger story that God is writing through Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom. And you know what that means practically? That means practically that whatever your story has been, Jesus has a better story for you. It, it, it means that whatever has been done to you, that he's going to bring good out of that. And there's meaning and purpose even in that. It, it means that he can transform your life. He can give you victory. And he can make your life something that lasts forever, that makes a difference in the world, that's greater than anything that people try to keep from you. Listen, we see in, in, in this text that, uh, like, we, we see in verse 10 that he was working in Daniel as Daniel sought him day to day, and he's working in us. We, we see here in, in verse 22, as uh, Daniel says, my God sh sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, that he was working for Daniel. And just know, if you're in Christ, God is working for you. If God be for you, who can be uh, against you? But then we see ultimately here that he is working through us as well. He worked through Daniel and his witness to get a pagan king to proclaim uh, some good theology and share it with the world. I mean, he used this pagan king as a missionary because God can do whatever he wants to do. Um, Sidney Grananis says about this story, he says, there's irony in the fact that conspirators think they have found Daniel's weakness when they find him praying to God, while prayer is his greatest strength. Indeed, it is his devotion to God that delivers him from the lions. There is also irony in the king signing a law that seems to elevate him to semi-divine status, while in fact it forces him to do what he does not want to do. His attempt to claim absolute power makes him a puppet of his officials and a dupe of his own law. 
God's turning it on its head. You know what? That's one of the themes of the Bible. You know, like we have with every other message of want to connect this to Christ because all the Bible's about him. And, you know, we just don't want to be moralistic, you know, go and be like Daniel. And so um, the way I want to do that today is actually by quoting John Aiken. And uh, this is something that Dr. Aiken said on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast, which if you want to understand the Old Testament, I would highly recommend to you. He, he put it this way. I mean, it's so good. I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to try to improve on it. Uh, he, he says, in terms of ty- typology in this, it is the idea, it's kind of like Genesis 3, where you have the plot of the wicked one turning back on his own head because you have him striking the heel of the Messiah while the Messiah crushes his head. You have this here in Daniel. You have it later in exile with Haman's plot against Mordecai, and he's hung on the gallows that he had built. And then you obviously have it at the cross where literally Satan bruises his heel, but he crushes his head. And then you have Paul talking about this thorn in the flesh, that it's a messenger from Satan that's actually serving to keep Paul humble and make him effective in ministry and lean on the strength of the Lord rather than his own strength. And so just continually, whatever Satan tries to do, it ends up backfiring on him. Listen, if you're walking with Jesus, I'm not saying you're not going to take some hits and some punches and you're not going to get bruised, but ultimately, that's what's going to happen in our lives as well. Dr. Aiken goes on to say, Daniel's rescue points us to the gospel. Think about it like this. He says, like Daniel, men schemed against Jesus. Like Daniel, those charges would stick against Jesus. Like Daniel, Jesus was arrested while he was praying. Like Daniel, a politician of his day was unsuccessful in stopping his execution. Like Daniel, Jesus descended into the pit. It was covered with a stone. It was sealed. This stuff is not accidental. Like Daniel, Jesus' friends came to the tomb early. Like Daniel, when the stone rolls away, Jesus walks out alive. Like Daniel, it results in God's glory being declared among all the nations. Unlike Daniel, Jesus actually dies and takes sin and death on himself to save us from sin and death. And so, here's the thing. Here's the story of Daniel and it's the story of the Bible. Jesus is God who came in flesh, who died for our sins, rose from the dead, proving that he's Lord of lords and King of kings. And the question is, are are we going to be a part of his kingdom? Are we going to bow our knee to him? Are we going to trust him and and, and surrender to him and live for him in his glory? Are we going to live our lives doing our own thing, trying to build our own little empires, writing our own story? Are we going to let our story blend into the story of God because we're trusting him and surrendering to him and living faithfully, walking with him day in and day out? That's what uh, Daniel did, and he prospered uh, in the reign uh, of empire number two when two kings who could have killed him were dead and cold in the grave. Listen, the Bible teaches us that if you're in Christ, you are safe from the enemy and all of his schemes, and you are safe in the plan and will of God until God is finished with you so you and I can live boldly and faithfully and confidently in that hope and in that conviction and in that confidence. I mean, think about what the the Apostle Paul said. He, He said in 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18, some of his last recorded words, he, he wrote this while he was in a Roman uh, prison cell, awaiting probably, and maybe he knew for sure, maybe he didn't, but, but shortly before his execution. And he wrote these words, and think about all he had been through, all he had been delivered from. But again, none of us are going to live forever. It's a question of how are we going to die? And he said this, he said, The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. 
And he said, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil, evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. God's going to, he said, he's going to deliver me from every evil work. You say he got persecuted, but he said he's going to preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Basically, what Paul said was to live as Christ, to die as gain. Basically, Paul said, I'm going to glorify the Lord. I'm going to do his will. And uh, then I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven. How can I lose? I mean, and how can we lose if that's the story of our life? We can bring God glory on the earth, and then we can go and enjoy him forever in heaven. Why do we need to live in fear when Jesus has triumphed? Uh, Luke put it this way in Acts 13, talking about David. He said, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. Notice what he, he said he served his own generation by the will of God, and then he died. Listen, until God's will is complete for you, you're not going to die. If you're walking in his will, you are safe until God is done with you. So live boldly out of that conviction. Listen, like I said last week, if you're old like Daniel and you can decide whether or not that fits you, don't stop now. Keep going because if you're not dead, he's not done. He's got a purpose for you being here. You can go enjoy him in heaven when you die, but for now, let him use you. Listen, if you're young, you know, most of our teenagers at the retreat, if you're a college student, you know, if you're in your 20s, God willing, you've got a lifetime where you can walk faithfully with Jesus and let God use you to make a difference in the world like he used Daniel and like he'll use anybody who submitted to him and will be faithful to him. Listen, let's live for something that will outlive us. Let's not waste our lives. Let's live for what's going to last forever. And so at some point in this, are we going to trust that Jesus is victorious and live like he's victorious and live like the Bible is true? Or, you know, do we just live based on our circumstances and do we live just based on fear, which is so easy to do? I want to illustrate it this way. So, last century, in the 1900s, um, probably one of the most brilliant men in evangelical Christianity was a man by Dr. Robert Wilson, who was a professor of Hebrew at Princeton Theological Seminary. And, but, I mean, he was a faithful, solid, Bible-believing, evangelical teaching at, at Princeton. And he was just known as a brilliant uh, scholar. And uh, one of the most famous pastors that he trained, I don't know if you know this name or not, but he's a very famous pastor in the mid-1900s, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. And so Barnhouse graduated from there, and some point after that, a few years later, he came back to preach in chapel, and Dr. Wilson, his former professor, this brilliant man, I mean, you think about like the teachers that you've had that just you really respect, maybe intimidate you uh, a, a little bit. He, he's sitting on the front row of chapel to hear this guy preach. It's kind of like um, when he's not preaching somewhere, I don't know if you met the Gorbinkos yet, he's a new, new Testament professor at Carson Newman. The Gorbinkos are coming to true life, and you know, he's a New Testament professor. So when I was preaching through Jude, that's a little intimidating to have a New Testament. It's like, better cross all my T's, dot all my I's, make sure this is, this is right. So, you know, his professor's there to listen to him preach. And so Dr. Barnhouse preached, and he was a faithful preacher of the word. He preached like he normally did. And afterwards, Dr. Wilson came up and, and, and said this to him. He said, if you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. I only come once. Uh, I'm glad that you are a big godder. He said, well, when my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders, and then I will know what their ministry will be. And so Dr. Barnhouse was kind of confused. He's like, what's a big godder? What's a little godder? I've not heard this phrase uh, before. And so he asked uh, his former professor to pr explain, and Dr. Wilson says, he says, well, some men have a little God, and they're always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of the scriptures. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little God. I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks, and it's done. 
He commands, and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of them that fear him. You, Donald, have a great God, and he will bless your ministry. And my question for us is, do we have a big God, or do we have a little God? I mean, do we believe that his word is true, that he fulfills his word, that he answers prayers, that he works on behalf of his people? Or do we, are we just giving this lip service, we're just showing up in church, and we're not really living our life based on it? You know what, if I'm honest, sometimes God in my mind is big, sometimes he's little. How about you? What are we really trusting in? And God wants us to trust, not our circumstances, not live with the focus on, you know, the world being crazy and out of control, but to trust that through Jesus Christ, he has triumphed over his enemies. And you can live out of that triumph, and you in Christ can live eternally in triumph, in his presence forever and ever. And so if that's our conviction, and if that's what Jesus has done, what do we do with that? What's the action that we take based on that? And I believe the action is this, that we will live faithfully by trusting and obeying God. We will live faithfully by trusting and obeying God. If you remember verse 3, they acknowledged, they saw Daniel's faithfulness. Well, we saw in verse 22 that he obeyed. We saw in verse 23 that God delivered him because it says, the last phrase of verse 23, because he believed in his God. He lived faithfully by trusting and obeying. And again, you can't separate uh, the two. Listen to me. Just living faithfully over time is one of the most important things we can ever do. See, sometimes I, I think we, we look at our deficiencies and, um, you know, where we lack and what we can't do, and we're like, how could God use me? But we forget. That again, that faithfulness is like compounding interest. And if you're just doing, whether it's little or it's big, what God wants you to do day in and day out, if you do that over a lifetime, you're going to make a difference, and you're going to glorify God, and there's going to be fruit in your life. Listen to me, you don't have to have it all figured out. Can I just tell you a little secret? I've been in ministry for 33 years now. And I've been a pastor for about 26 years now. Sometimes that makes things easier. Sometimes I'm like, eh, I know what to do in this situation. Other times I have no clue. Because things change. And situations get more complicated. And as the church grows, I'm facing things, decisions, and figuring things out that I've never figured things out before. But here, here's the deal. I remember this. If you're going to grow... That means the next step is always beyond where you are now. The next step is always beyond where you are now. And, you know, if we just want to stay comfortable, it's staying where we are, but we never do that because we go backwards. So just take the next step that God puts in front of you and you've grown. And then you can do some more. And then take the next step. And you've grown. And you can do some more. And take the next step. And just do that day after Listen, some of you, and this is so easy to do, some of you, especially when you're, when you're young and people putting pressure on you to figure out your life, you're trying to get 50 steps ahead. Just take the next step. Just be faithful where you are. Because the Bible says if we're faithful in little things, God will make us ruler over much. Kevin DeYoung's put it this way, and I think this is so important, I'm going to read it twice. Uh, he puts it this way. He says, we must not despise the day of small things. That's most of the time for most of us, but insignificant days of faithfulness add up to a significant life. Read it again. We must not despise the day of small things. That's most of the time for most of us, but insignificant days of faithfulness add up to a significant life. And so, I think the question is, how do we live faithfully? And that's what I want to close with. That's what I want to take my last few minutes with. And, you know, I, I've really, as, as, we, as we're going through this book, I've said the big idea of Daniel is that God's in control. 
He's establishing his kingdom. And so I, I've, I've preached it primarily from that angle, you know, again, connected to Christ because that's who the Bible's all about and said, you know, we're not going to be moralistic, but there are things we can learn from Daniel. And, and so I kind of want to sum up the first six chapters and uh, give us a couple of things we need to learn from Daniel's life if we're going to live faithfully. I mean, if this man lived in a hostile place in the public eye so faithfully for over 60 years that they didn't want him, but they needed him, and they couldn't find anything to accuse him with other of other than he was too godly, we might ought to learn something from him. Right? I mean, especially in this day and age of scandal and fallen Christian celebrities, which is an oxymoron in and of itself, we might ought to learn from somebody that lived that way for that long. So, I just want to talk to you about how faithfulness is displayed and then how faithfulness is developed. Okay? How faithfulness is displayed and how faithfulness is developed and there's certainly more that could be said about this but just from the beginning part of Daniel in this in this chapter I think we see four ways that faithfulness is displayed number one it's displayed in public service again in verse three it says Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him think about it he was in exile in a foreign land these weren't his people. But you know what we learned from Daniel? You, you want to live a faithful life that honors God and blesses people? Do all the good you can for all the people you can, whoever those people are, because all people are made in the image of God. If you go back to Jeremiah 20, 29, which prophesied their exile in Babylon, and it tells them how to live, verse 7 says, Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. That's how Daniel lived his life in Babylon. Second, excel in our work. You know, Christians ought to be the best employers or employees that you can find. Because the Bible tells us what we do, we're not to do as man-pleasers. Uh, we're not to do when just somebody's watching. We're to do it from our heart as unto the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ, honoring and glorifying Him. Because it doesn't matter at, at the end of the day exactly what we get paid or how we're treated. What matters is what we do because we only got to answer for us. We don't have to answer for other people. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine 29 says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And that was fulfilled in the life of Daniel. Second, if, if we want to live faithfully, live with consistent integrity. Again, in verse 5, um, or I'm sorry, let's go to verse 4. It says, They could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Over all these decades, don't we need some politicians like that today? But you know, really what we need today, Christians, us, you and I, to live that way. Proverbs 10.9 says that he who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. You know what that means? It says we might as well, it's saying we might as well be honest about who we are and where we fail because if we don't, it's going to come out. It's going to come out in some way. Listen, in integrity means to live with wholeness. It, it means that who we are on the inside and the outside matches up, who we are in public and private matches up. It doesn't mean we're perfect. To live with integrity isn't to always get it right, but it's to admit it when we get it wrong. It's to be honest when we blow it. You see, uh, there... There's a difference. The, the, the opposite of integrity is not sin. The opposite of integrity is hypocrisy. There's a difference in being a sinner and a hypocrite. We're all sinners, but we can be honest about that. Uh, being a hypocrite is being a sinner and not being honest about it. It's wearing a mask. It's playing a game. It's putting on a front. It, it, it's acting like you're someone that you're not really. And Sinclair Ferguson has said this about Daniel. He says he was a wonderful illustration of the principle that our God's character is known by others through our own character 
and lifestyle. You hear that? Our God's character is known by others through our own character and lifestyle. So let's be real. You know, when, when, when a Christian's being a hypocrite and somebody says to me, well, I, you know, I can't believe in Jesus because of this Christian, I say to him, them, you know, your faith is not in this person. Your faith is in Jesus. He won't let you down. He was perfect. He died. He rose from the dead. That's what you have to look to. But let's be real. It makes sense because of what Pastor Ferguson said. And when we live like hypocrites, we turn people off to Jesus. Because if we don't live like the God we say we represent, why are people going to take him seriously? Third, doing the right thing in the face of opposition. Again, uh, Daniel had to do this a lot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, he didn't go hide in the corner and keep praying. He did it with the windows open uh, toward uh, Jerusalem. Listen, Acts 5.29, the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. Sometimes to obey God is to disobey human beings. And then fourth, Daniel had a bold uh, witness. Again, he proclaims, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. And he was, his boldness led, and, and his witness led to the king ending up uh, witnessing to the truth. Uh, of God. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I shared a story from a friend of mine by the name of Chris Turner, who was here doing some video work for us in preparation for the 20th anniversary. And uh, uh, he, I shared a phrase with you that he, he uses called providential failure, uh, if, you, if you remember that. And uh, Chris is the director of communications for the Tennessee Baptist Convention. He's like a journalist and a video guy. And uh, I want to share a story that he wrote an article about about 20 years ago. But uh, I don't know if any of you ever met Chris or not, but Chris is probably 6'4". He might even be taller than that. He's, he's a big uh, guy. But he, he told a story and it interested me because I've been to Honduras like 40-some times. And I've always wondered, because, you know, we've driven by like the jail in Tegucigalpa, like what would a jail or a prison in Honduras be like? And I can't imagine how horrific it would be. You ever seen the show Locked Up Abroad? Anybody ever seen that? Uh, I mean, it, you see some crazy places on that. And I'm uh, thinking that Honduras uh, prison there would just be horrific. Well, he, he talked about being assigned for Baptist Press, him and another guy, to one of our, I, I don't assume after 20 years she's still not, but one of our IMB missionaries, I mean, we don't actually have IMB missionaries in Honduras anymore because it's a fairly reached place, but an IMB missionary named Amy Johnson, who he described as like five foot nothing. Uh, and, he, you know, he's like six four plus, uh, but her ministry was like, Five days a week or so, she was going into different prisons, juvenile women, men, uh, and, and some of the men, you know, one of the men's was like, like the prison, you know, it's where murderers, rapists were going. Uh, but this small little lady, her ministry was to go in these prisons and minister uh, to, to prisoners. Now, the thing he said, um, I don't know if you've ever been in prison before or not, but no, no testimonies. But, like, I, I mean, I preached in a prison in Maryland one time. I visited people in jail. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, you clear security and all that. Uh, but, you know, there's usually guards around. It's not that way is how he described these prisons in Honduras. Once you get inside, the guards don't even mess with the prisoners. That's how bad it is. So there's no guards around. But he says this little woman walks in, and it's like she owns the place. That uh, she just so exudes the love of Jesus. And so many of these people, you know, really what they're looking for is love. That They call her mamita, little mama. It's like, uh, she's, it's like their mom. And, and, you know, share the gospel with them, led many of them to Christ. And, you know, she counsels them and listens to them and prays for them and encourages them. And, and, and they just flock to her. And, like, again, she's just walking around like she owns the place. Well, Chris, this 6'4 guy and his other buddy said they were scared to death. And they didn't get more than like a foot away from her any time uh, that, that they were in there. This lady had that bold of a witness. How bold are we? And that's part of what's going to get manifested in our faithfulness. But last thing, how is our faithfulness developed? 
Remember, it's inside out. Daniel had an excellent spirit. But how did he have an excellent spirit? He had an excellent spirit, number one, through the working of the Holy Spirit. If you look in chapter 4, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 18. If you look in chapter 5, verse 11, chapter 5, verse 14. The pagans recognized in Daniel, quote, was the spirit of the holy God. And it's the Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately transforms us and who gives us integrity and makes us bold and, and helps us to be faithful and all these other things. What do you realize, according to Jesus in John 14 and John 15, Paul in Ephesians 1, 13, that if you're a Christian, God has sent his spirit to be another helper, another of the exact same kind is the literal translation, another helper, another comforter to indwell you, to live in your heart, that your body is the temple of God, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we have God through the presence of his spirit living on the inside of each and every one of us. So what's our excuse? But the question is, not if the Holy Spirit resides in our heart, is it does He preside over our hearts? Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, the Spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh against the Spirit. So that's verse 17. Verse 16 is, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. In other words, if we're living in the, under the control of our own flesh, we're bound up in it. And if we're saved, we're going to want to do the right thing. But we don't have the power to do the right thing in our own flesh. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to live a faithful, fruitful life, live under the control of the Holy Spirit. But how is that developed? Well, the last thing we see in Daniel is through habitual, private devotions. Again, this is the secret sauce. Let's go back to verse 10. It says, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with the windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. You know what the New Testament version of that is? It's discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. Listen, our habits determine the course and the outcome of our lives. It's not what we do in a day, it's what we do daily. Show me your habits, and I can tell you your future. Craig Rochelle says, successful people do regularly what unsuccessful people do occasionally. And that's so true. It's day in and day out. Whether or not we're spending time with God, whether or not we're in His Word, whether or not we're praying, who we spend time with, what's our community, uh, what we listen to, what we read, what we think about, what we eat, whether or not we exercise, all those kind of things uh, you know, determine who we are on the inside, and then that determines what comes out of us on the outside. Listen, you want to be a better person? Change your habits. You want to have a better marriage? Change your habits. It's who we are that comes out, and it affects then everything around us. You know, I kind of shared that story about Amy Johnson just to set this up. You know, it's because you have the question, because like, how could somebody be that bold and fearless? I have that question. I'd probably be like Chris, you know, be like <laughs> hanging on to the back of her shirt or something like that. But here's what he said. He said, when you saw her notes that you took, that she took, you know, about her prison visits, they were stained with tears that came from the amount of time she spent praying over the people that she ministered to. Uh, you know, she set aside a day a week to pray and, and, and to plan and to be filled with the Spirit and to put on the armor of God. Because she's like, how could you go into a place like that apart from the strength of God? 
And listen, if we're going to face battles and we're going to be used by God, we have to face it in uh, his strength, not our strength. And listen, I'm not saying you're called to go into a Honduran prison, but what are you facing today? I remember during the the period of time in between when I graduated seminary and we moved to Maryland to pastor. uh, For part of that time, I was working for a temporary service, and I was an interim pastor at a church. And part of the time for the, uh, the temporary service, I worked at the Tough Torque Warehouse sorting parts with two weird dudes, and um, I mean, really, one in particular, I mean, who had just gotten out of the Marines, so I didn't really want to cross him, because I figured he could kill me if he wanted to, and, you know, we were up there by ourselves, up in the East End Industrial Park, he just buried my body, and nobody had known uh, the difference, probably, but anyway, this guy, uh, I mean, we go into work real early, and work however many hours, whatever, but this guy, he would bring a boombox to work. And, you know, kids, ask your parents what a boombox is, but, or, or Charlie can tell you. Uh, <laughs> he, he, would, he would bring a boombox, and all day long, every day, literally, we would listen to Enya. Now, if you don't know who Enya is, it's Irish folk music. And, it, it, I mean, it would drive you crazy. And just to deal with that every day, I would have to get up early and spend some time in God's Word and in prayer just to try to get my mind right, just to try to survive the day. And you may not have Enya, but you may have a terrible boss. You may have a bad work situation. You may be struggling in school. You may have a bunch of crazy two- and three- and four-year-olds running around. Uh, You may be in a difficult marriage or whatever it may be, but what you need to face whatever your circumstances are, our prayer and the presence of God and the word of God and, and truth and our minds right, because God has triumphed. We can live faithfully in the power of the Spirit out of that triumph if we're walking with Him, if we're trusting Him, if we're obeying Him, but that just doesn't magically happen. It's a product of our daily habits. So, what do we do with this? Some of you... You need to bow your knee to Jesus Christ, surrender to him as your Lord and your King, commit your life to him and to his purpose. Some of you need to publicly confess that through believers' baptism by immersion. Take the first step of obedience. Some of us need to develop the biblical conviction that Jesus won. And we're in him, and so we're a victor. We're more than a conqueror, that we don't have to live in in, in defeat, and we don't have to live beating ourselves up, and we don't have to to, to live tearing ourselves down because we're in Christ, and we're blessed with every spiritual blessing, and we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And so we can live in the power of the Spirit. But again, I can stand up here for however long and preach my heart out. But if you're not with him day in and day out, by Tuesday at the latest, this is going to be gone. Listen to me. You you can't live faithfully and fruitfully on my convictions. It's got to be on your convictions. And our convictions come from being in the word of God, being with God day in, day out. Him growing us, again, it's not in a day, it's not in a church service, it's not from a sermon, it's daily. God forms and shapes us and changes us and corrects us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. There are no shortcuts. There is no other way to a faithful, fruitful, long-term life of integrity than the way Daniel did it. So what are we going to do? And you got to answer that for you, and i got to answer that for me. But again, show me your habits, and I'll show you your future. Let's bow our heads and, and pray.